This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell, and joining me today in the studio are the Toledo Symphony's principal second violin and artistic administrator, Merwin Sue. We also have our friend Mickey Emsch, who is Ensemble Sales and Operations Manager for the Toledo Symphony. And on the phone, we have a very special guest. I do have a fanfare for you. That is the fantastic tenor, Zach Borchevsky. Zach, you're on the line with us, yeah? I'm still here. Hi, how you doing? So that is your fanfare. You know, that that's going to accompany you every time you walk on any stage anywhere. I, I'm sorry to, to, to cut in before we talk about anything, but it, uh, the the most perfect possible uh, fanfare intro for this particular concert, I think, would be uh, the 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 few bars right before the Vittoria moment in Tosca, because I think that's the greatest lead up to a tenor high note moment of all of opera. And, uh, no, I'll and sing it for you. Vittoria. Yeah, that really. That's exactly. <laughs> Okay, well, just pretend that was your fanfare instead. That's that's my favorite. I think it's the first time we've had a guest critique your choice of fanfare, right? It's a exactly. new button to add, too. I mean, well, you, you brought in all these musicians here into the studio, yeah. and he just shot it all down. Oh, well, Yay. there we go. I wouldn't dare say that it was inferior. I just, uh, because we're doing, happen to be doing an excerpt from Tosco in this concert, it would have uh, it would have really been uh, the same, uh, same yeah. vein. Well, unfortunately, there is copyright, so we have to be careful about what music we can and can't play. And so the fanfares are royalty-free, or at least we pay for them. We license them, but uh, I couldn't get a specific no, yeah, of recording of the uh, Vittoria. Uh, out of curiosity, who would be your favorite tenor or the no, greatest, the uh, greatest even- Vittoria? Well, I, I mean, I'm p- pretty partial to Corelli. It's, part of it is is the the audience reaction though which is is the thing that that i really miss uh about different i mean now you don't miss uh there's different kinds of opera consumption i think in the olden the olden days you know in the 19th century even early 20th century mid 20th century by the time corelli's singing there's still an opera a similar fan base as in sports because sports hadn't taken over every element of sort of the popular cultural like entertainment thing to do um, and so the the people that are there in sporting events cheering like crazy were at the opera instead. And so when some magnus, magnificent athletic feat was accomplished, they cheered like a magnificent, magnificent athletic feat had been accomplished in a sporting event. Yeah. And it was exciting. And you, you can find on YouTube plenty of recordings of Corelli <laughs> singing. Singing that moment yeah. of Tosca and being the next, you know, three minutes of the opera being drowned out by raucous cheers, and that's fun. And I, uh, you know, so I'm partial to Corelli for that reason. <laughs> yeah. Also, the fact that he had an amazing voice, and that name is going to come well, up again a little bit later in the uh, program. That's why the, he got those cheers, of course. Yeah. Well, the reason that we're talking to you, Zach, is because you're coming back to Toledo. This is for a concert of Giacomo Puccini's Messa di Gloria, also starring you singing some arias from the uh, Puccini Cinematic Universe. We're going to hear from... (laughs) 
<laughs> it's happening Sunday, March 26th at 4 o'clock p.m. This is at Rosary Cathedral, which is a great space to, to sing in. And uh, Giordano Bellincampi is uh, conducting the concert. You can find more information at 419-246-8000. That's the box office number. You can also go online to their website at toledosymphony.com. Now, Zach, I've talked with you before on FM 91, but we haven't done an episode of Toledo Symphony Lab. So in keeping with what we always do when we have a special guest, we get you to tell your story. And this can be anything that, you know, we, we use to get to know you a little bit better. So you can take us back as far as you want. And let me get some music for you here. So that can kind of set the tone, right? Let's hear Zach's story. This is this is the mood for Yeah. This is, my story has to be in this kind of mood, all right. You went Victoria for this also? <laughs> there was a boy who was born. But um, no, I was uh, I, I I started out in singing uh, when I was just a. Uh, 14 or 15 years old is my first uh, professional training uh, in singing. So I started singing in church before profe- being professionally trained. Then I happened to find a really great voice teacher, and that got me into the singing business in, in uh, the suburbs of Philadelphia in, uh, in Pennsylvania. And, um, I mean, the business eventually, in, into the, uh, the, the pursuit of singing um classically and uh, just figuring out how to how to make those same sounds that that andrea bocelli who was, i was very much into uh as a as a 12 year old and then very soon after pavarotti who uh continues to dominate my um appreciation for i mean he's he's in my mind still the, the one i let go to listen to um he's like the the gold standard to me i i appreciate all different colors and flavors of tenors um, at different times for different repertoires, but if there's uh, has to be one name, it's, it's got to be Pav for me, um, and he's the one who I really was was uh, was into when I was in those teenage years. And anyway, I uh, I, I went on from from my high school uh, voice training with a very great voice teacher in the in the suburbs of Philadelphia. His name's Neil Tracy, um, and then I went to undergrad in D.C. I went to the Yale School of Music for for graduate school. And I went to the Academy of Vocal Arts in Philadelphia after that, and to just to bookend my my musical education experience with the two sort of two very big influences, my first voice teacher Neil Tracy, who I still see on occasion, and and the maestro Christopher Macatsoris at AVA, who I still uh, have a chance to to go and work with on occasion. Uh, Katie and I, um, my my wife Catherine Lewick, we got a chance to work through uh, Traviata with him uh, before we came to Toledo to do it uh, yeah. last year. That's wonderful. So, um, yeah. Any mention of Toledo gets a cheer, right? <laughs> Let me ask yeah. you a question, Zach. Um, I, I, I'm curious. You talk about some of the tenors that were your role models, you know, Pavarotti being the chief among them. Um, before you knew you were a tenor, were you interested in tenors? Or did, was that precipitated by, like, your teacher telling you, hey, you're going to be a great tenor? Well, it was kind of all at once. I mean, I, I never really thought I was anything else. I think if I had had a, a less um, adept uh, voice teacher initially, I probably would have been assigned baritone stuff because of my speaking range. I think my speaking range is artificially low. Unlike yours, Brad, I don't I, I don't understand how you were ever a tenor. I think that you... <laughs> 
I'm sure you were fantastic. I don't, but I, it feels like your speaking voice is naturally in this kind of range. And my speaking voice, I artificially bring it down here because my dad is a bass. Most of my friends growing up were uh, lower voiced guys. So I, I think if I was speaking, if you listen to the old recordings of like Pavarotti, of, of, uh, of Delmonico, of the, all these guys, they all talk up here. Like this is like where their yeah. voice actually sits when they're singing. And I think if I spoke up here normally, my, I might have a healthier vocal lifestyle in the end, but oh well, like this is where I speak. <laughs> uh, the perceptive thing about Neil Tracy was that he recognized very quickly that I was actually a tenor, um, even though I have a low speaking voice. And the you know, high notes have not always been the easiest for me, but I'm, I'm a lyric tenor, I'm not a leggero kind of tenor, so that's kind of the, the deal. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know... <laughs> It reminds me of a friend of mine who I, of course, will not name, who uh, I think is also a tenor, but uh, works as a baritone. And uh, he tried to be a tenor for a few months in his late 20s, I guess. He tried to make the transition. Um, and I talked to him a few weeks after that little period of it, and he said, uh, yeah, and I, I just it's, it's hard. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it is hard. It, it doesn't mean you aren't a tenor. It just means that being a tenor is hard, much harder than being a baritone. Yeah. To all my baritone friends, but um, it's just it's the weirdest, the weirdest voice type that there is. That's why tenors get paid the big bucks, you know, because they actually have to <laughs> do some sweating on stage. And, and <laughs> right. everybody is looking out for that shot and for the moment, you know, waiting for the tenor to crack wide open <laughs> on a high note. Exactly. There's, you know, all that, always that fear going on in the mind right. of the performer. Tell us a little bit about this concert. What are we going to hear you sing for us? Well, it's a lot of uh, Puccini hits, um, which I uh, am happy to uh, to get to, um, because uh, Recondi Tarabonia is the is the opening thing for me on the concert. I think there's a there's an orchestral prelude first, um, but it's uh, it's uh, the opening tenor aria from Tosca. Mm-hmm. Um, it is one of the very first things that I, I mean, I tried to sing that when I was, when I was working with Neil Tracy when I was in high school. Um, and this will be my first experience singing it, uh, with an orchestra because I've, wow. I've sung it many times. I sang it in a few competitions when I was um, younger and, um, uh, I've, I've sung it a fair amount, but, uh, never with orchestra. So it'll be a lovely experience, uh, to sing it with orchestra in this lovely cathedral space. And that's particularly appropriate because, uh, of course the opening scene of Tosca takes place in a church yeah um and cavaradosi is painting a fresco or whatever kind of decorative <laughs> in the church a typical tenor description hey, he's painting a painting whatever but listen to me i'm singing a high a here right <laughs> <laughs> i have to that's say that that's a i mean it's a great sort of vocal beginning for the program but also that's a really hard aria i've sung it myself in the opera several times and you know, it's sustained. It's right up there. Not to to you know make you any more nervous than you <laughs> than you may be already. No, no, no. It's those Fs. You're exactly right. The the, the passaggio it hangs out. The passaggio is is uh, is what we talk about in the in the in tenor vocalism as the 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 passageway, the the hallway between the two different types of uh, voices, two different types of vocal production, and um, that's what you have to navigate super carefully in order to maintain your ability to sing the high notes when you get there and uh and you know maintain a a, a pretty sounding instrument yeah. and puccini just nails away on those f's which is square in the middle of the passaggio it's like the first second ish note of the passaggio and one of the hardest for me always to to get in the right 
the right place. You can't yeah. you can't open it too wide. You can't narrow it too closed. It's got to be it's got to be just you know. It has to be in the so, Goldilocks zone. That's right. <laughs> Well, you know right away, you know, how the rest of the opera is going to go <laughs> once you get into that aria. But <laughs> yeah, uh, there you go. you're singing a few other arias and uh, a duet as well. Tell us uh, some yeah. of the other stuff we're going to hear. Yeah, so we're, uh, uh, I'm, I'm singing with a baritone who uh, Merwin and, and uh, Mickey have to let me know who it is. I don't know if the baritone is on the <laughs> it's, We're unveiling the baritone, <laughs> unboxing the baritone at the concert, so you'll have to wait. Oh, wow, that makes us seem like some sort of Instagram moment okay. between a baritone <laughs> unboxing. <laughs> it's Louis Ledesma. <laughs> you know Louis? I know. I know him from uh, ages and ages ago, yes. he's. Yeah. Uh, I sang a Beethoven 9 with him in Philadelphia many years ago, and, and uh, he's uh, you know married to the... Uh, Longtime coach at ABA as well, so um, I'm glad to be able to sing with him. And we're singing together. He's going to sing Sharpless, and uh, we're going to sing the opening uh, scene of Butterfly, uh, Madame Butterfly, which uh, is you know the, one of the most lovable characters Puccini ever wrote <laughs> <laughs> for uh, for the tenor is uh, is yeah. Pinkerton. Um, I, I I sang the role, so I had to figure out. I, I you know I'm I'm not one to uh, play a bad person who knows he's bad and is just wants to be bad and mustache twirling kind of guy because <laughs> he does have a, a an aria that Puccini wrote later to make him a little bit more sympathetic, but yeah. it doesn't really make any sense if he's just all evil all the time. Um, if he, why would he feel bad all of a sudden? So yeah. to me, Pinkerton in this scene, in this opening scene of, of Butterfly, he's explaining how everything works to uh, to uh, to Sharpless. And I think what he's what he's all about here is is being a young uh, mansplainer, and he's like, I know exactly how everything's working here. But anyway, yes, Pinkerton is showing up in Japan and believes that all of a sudden he understands how this whole society works and how this whole relationship works and how basically glorified prostitution works. And he's explaining it all to Sharpless and being like, listen, everybody, they say, they say it's marriage here, we're going to get married, but uh, I can dissolve the marriage contract anytime I want. And he's, uh, he believes, in my mind, that everybody knows that this is not real, that it's yeah. not a real marriage, that it's not a real, like, this is, this is just how prostitution works. And he, he doesn't really think he's taking advantage of, of uh, Chocho-san here. He thinks that she's in on it. Um, in the sense that she understands also how this system works, and that that obviously they're just you know there for a, however long he's there, uh, days or weeks or whatever, not not for a lifetime. Um, and so I think that you know he's still not a great guy, um, <laughs> but at least it it makes sense that he would feel sorry when he finds out at the end that she was actually. Um, obsessed with him or not obsessed with him but it just it, believing that this was a genuine relationship yeah. that they were starting and getting into now that we have a wonderful picture of tenors in our mind <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm looking over at merwin and mickey who have, who have yet to say anything now you have anything that you want to talk to zach about while you draw your doodle there on the paper merwin <laughs> I was just drawing a diabolical tenor. It was all good. <laughs> <laughs> a picture of Zach, if only, if only we could show it over the radio. Oh, it's such a great visual medium. But I think it was, I mean, it's actually really exciting for us to be able to kind of work with you again. And then, I mean, I think the last time you were here was 
my wife and I came to sing Traviata. Uh, oh, uh, right, right. The... Yeah, that was amazing. I mean, let me ask you a question. When you say that was amazing and you're sitting there playing your violin, mm -hmm. are you listening to the singer? I mean, how does that work for an instrumentalist? Are they like, oh, you know, there goes the singer again? Or do you get kind of wrapped up in that to the point where it may even distract you from what you're supposed to be doing? I have to say it's very, very different when you're comparing um, the orchestration parts for, say, Bellini or Donizetti with Puccini. Yeah. Um, Puccini, it feels very chamber music, like you're often doing um, counter melodies to the vocal melody, and you're very much aware of what the singer is doing, but you're having to be, you know, like, you're also having to assert your own musical line with Donizetti, not so much. <laughs> the orchestration part is much more, um, it's much more almost scaffolding. So you're really very much attuned to on a second-by-second -second basis what the singer is doing because you want to place your scaffolding at the appropriate place. Well, it's interesting what you say about orchestration in terms of what Puccini does because... You may have the counter melody, but the, the singer, and Zach, you can verify this as well as you, Mickey, th those are some thick orchestrations. Thick. There's a lot of doubling <laughs> that, that goes on in the orchestra. And some people have said, you know, Puccini is harder to sing than Wagner sometimes because you need a big, a big mm -hmm. voice that cuts through that heavy orchestra. Zach, do you, do you agree with that sentiment? Well, you need an unusually sensitive conductor, I think, because, you know, everybody has different sized voices. These, these enormous, like, voices that we expect from American singers a lot these days is because of the hugeness of the houses. And if you look at mm. the size of opera houses in Europe, and where, even where Puccini was writing, I mean, they're just, and, you know, <laughs> the Met is twice as large, Houston is very, very large. But even, you know, the, the largest possible house is about the same size as, um, your average regional house. Now, the Valentine is, is sort of nicely uh, in, in a more reasonable uh, your traditional European opera house size. So uh, that's, that's one advantage for Toledo right away versus a lot of other regional places yeah. um, in, America, in America. Wait, you mentioned uh, Toledo again. Let me... Yay! There we go. <laughs> okay, go ahead. That's right. Carry on. Um, it'll be fun to sing in the, in the church as well, in the cathedral. But, uh, you know, in terms of Puccini... I haven't tried to sing Wagner, so I can't really compare the two of them. Um, but I always, it's even more important to look at the full score if you're singing a Puccini thing. So because I'm singing Recondita Armonia, the, the Tosca aria with orchestra for the first time, I was looking at the full score. And yeah, there is a whole middle section of that that's, that's all double with the cello. But it's interesting because it's double with the cello, but nothing really else. So it's not thick. It's just mm. It's just cello doubled, which is you know, important to keep in mind in terms of you can't be too too push and pulley if you only have two rehearsals with the yeah. orchestra. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta just kind of get on the same page and uh, and sing together um, and not not get too uh, jazzy with it. But it, you know that that to me, hopefully, in the moment will feel supportive and and I'll feel less like I need to create all of the music myself. And it's more like um, we're all doing it together, yeah. um, which is, you know, that's a little bit of a relief um, uh, vocally, hopefully, yeah. even though you're trying to trying to get, get your voice out over that orchestra. Well, uh, this is sort of like your tryout stage. I mean, you, you're safe here. You're among friends and family and people that want <laughs> to see you and hear you sing. 
it's a great place to try something that may be a little bit new for you. So we're glad to hear that's the case. Mickey, what's your, you know, you're a singer, you're a soprano. You sing a lot of new music, I know, but what's your experience with music of Puccini? Well, a fair amount of lip syncing at home, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> While doing uh, the laundry or the oh, dishes? Oh, yeah, or, always. Yeah. Um, no, the I definitely agree with Zach. I think that the, um, the joy of a lot of that repertoire is getting to ride the wave and find and explore colors and collaboration when you have those moments that... You know, you are written with the cello getting to look at what exactly the text is there and why the cello is the choice to um, duet with in that yeah. moment. is It's a joy. It's so fun. Well, then also at the very end, you have, you know, the last aria, the final aria, Eluceva Nestelle, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of cello and clarinet going on there. The orchestra has a real solo spotlight as well. And there has to be something that ties it in, I think to the beginning and to the end, right? And the story that happens in between. Oh, there's a soprano also, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, her. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, let's do my quiz, which I have prepared uh, in the vein of the Metropolitan Opera radio quiz, which I just did this past weekend. Sometimes they come to you and they do a vocal ID where they drop the needle and they play a little bit and you have to say who it is, right? Now, I'm going to tell you the opera is Turandot, the aria is Nasundorma, and usually we hear like a bunch of high B naturals together, you know, from different tenors and try to guess which is which, but we're just going to hear the opening phrase, Nasundorma, and see if we can identify these 10 tenors. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read you the names of the tenors in uh, alphabetical order. This is not the order that I'm going to play them in, but just so you know... Piotr Bechala, who I saw over the weekend, he sang a wonderful Lohengrin. Uh, Yussi Bierling, Franco Corelli, Mario Domonico, Nicola Guetta, Giuseppe Giacomini, Jonas Kaufmann, Alfredo Kraus, Mario Lanza, and finally, Zach's favorite, Luciano Pavarotti. Okay, so those are the ten tenors. What I'm going to do is play them one at a time. And you uh, figure out who it is. We're not going to say who it is until we have played them all, and then we'll go back in order, right? So I think this is a little bit unfair. We were trying <laughs> to spell Piotr, and I got slow. Can <laughs> we go back? That's okay. I, so what I think we should do is that Mickey and I should team up against Zach. Okay. And, and see how Zach we... and I get to team up, or we go separate? Well, no, no. You, you, you see the answers in front of you. I don't feel like that's extremely Oh, yeah. so you made the quiz. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Good to know. Okay. All right, here's your first one. Let me see if I can get that to work. Okay, the first one. Okay, I'll give wow. you a clue for each one I can't of these. Read your handwriting, the person we just heard is, was probably best known in the role of Otello. He was also a heavy smoker. Died of mm. cancer. I don't think it was lung cancer, though. Okay, here's your second one. Now, 
how this person recorded 43 different operas throughout his career, the last one when he was 70 years old. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, Hold dang. on. We need to make a big change. <laughs> you're having a timeout? Our person is obviously not correct. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number three, we're moving on. Okay, so that person had a stage name that they were famous as. Their real name was Alfredo Cocotza. That was their real name, although they went by a few other names during their life. We know them by their stage name. Okay, here's the next one. Who was the star of a major Hollywood flop? That one should be fairly easy. So, Zach, are you four for four? <laughs> and now the next uh, one. I don't think so. <laughs> the next one, this per, this uh, performer performed operas in French, Russian, German, Italian, English, Czech, Swedish, and Latin. That should give uh, it away yeah, right there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So you can't see this on the radio, <laughs> but basically our teamwork has just devolved into ele- elegant shrugs. <laughs> just, like, they're throwing a blank. We're just like, well, there's no way. Hey, we still got five to go. All right. This, this next singer, this next singer started out as a lyric tenor and considered quitting opera because their career wasn't going anywhere. They were in their mid twenties at the time. And then they found a teacher who taught them how to sing dramatically and it became one of the premier dramatic singers of our time. Here it is. Okay, the next one is short, balding. I should say was short, balding, and he also wore thick glasses in uh, contrast to his persona on stage as one of the great dramatic voices of all time. Here we go. It's so interesting to hear these different voices. Right. Yeah, I would say I, w- I should mute you for the hints, except I, I do have the handicap of being on the phone, and I feel like the, the fidelity is is uh, is making me question. The, the, I'm I'm pretty good now, but the first three I was like, uh, anyway, uh, it's the okay. Hints are, are what's putting it over the top here. It's okay. Okay, here's a hint for the next one. They just had a triumph at the Metropolitan Opera in an opera by Richard Wagner. I actually was in the house for that performance. Anyway, not the Nessendorma, but for the Wagner Opera. All right, only two left to go. The next one was a heavy alcoholic throughout his entire life, 
He's said to have started drinking to combat stage fright. Regardless, one of the great voices of all time. Here it is. You can hear from the crackling. It's a little, little bit earlier. And our final one. Uh, speaking of stage fright, this tenor suffered from debilitating stage fright, often canceled. In fact, he was the one that canceled, and a young tenor named Placido Domingo took his place and started his career at the Met. Here it is. Okay, we've had ten tenors. You gonna sing it for us, Zach? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, the first one. I don't know. I'm just gonna go through and tell you who they were. Okay. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. And, we, and we like, wait, wait, wait. I think we did well. Yeah. The honor there's system. One, oh. I'm, there's one person I'm missing, and I'm. Uh, um, Only I'm one. Me too. <laughs> well, yeah. Let, well, there's. Yeah, it's only the second one that I I think I'm. I'm questionable on. Yeah, it was it was a little hard to figure that one out. I just forget the name. I forget the name of. I, I, if I had written down, I didn't write down the ten names you gave me. If it was process of elimination, like uh, I would be able to. <laughs> okay. Before. Well, I, I can give the ten names again in alphabetical order, and then we'll go and I'll tell you who was who. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Piotr Bichala, UC Burling, Franco Corelli, Mario De Monaco, Nicola Guetta, Giuseppe Giacomini, Jonas Kaufman, Alfredo Kraus. Mario Lanza, and Luciano Pavarotti. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Can, you, okay. All right. Can you slow down just right. a little nope. bit? Okay. <laughs> Could you give me the name of between um, Nikolai Guetta and, and Jonas Kaufman? Uh, that's Giuseppe Giacomini. Mm. Ah. Yes. Let me go through. Let me let me just read the one through ten and see how you can tell me whether it's right. You, you got your old buzzer. You can just do the buzzer. Oh, okay. This is, a brave right. this is a soul. brave man. Go for it. Go for it. All right. I'm gonna start. I'm this. I'm I'm the least secure about the beginning, but we're gonna start with. Is it Delmonico first? Oh, I got Yay! that too. Delmonico. We got that too, yeah. Merwin. Yeah, knuckles. Knuckles. What do you say for number <laughs> two? Mario Lanza. No. Oh. You had those two mixed up, the numbers two and three. So is that Kraus then? That's Alfredo Kraus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I had Kraus as three. I had Allison. I took voice lessons with Alfredo Kraus. That was literally the loudest voice I've ever heard. He sat right next to me and sang a high C in my face. And famously, he had a very lyric voice, but it, man, did it cut through I had, everything. Yeah. I had Krauss's three and random tenor whose name you just gave me as two. <laughs> yes. So who was the other name that you had? You had Zach. I just I, I switched Lanza and Kraus. Yeah, Alfredo Kraus, Mario Lanza. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you didn't get number four. No, obviously four is Luciano Pavarotti. Yeah. Five is Nikolai Guetta. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to keep hitting this button. Seven is Giuseppe Giacomini. Yeah. Eight is Piotr Basawa. Nine is Burling. 
and tennis Franco Corelli. So <laughs> I have to pull this out again because you're definitely the winner of the quiz. Did you guys get any of that? I drew a flower. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that you're a former florist from yeah, your previous yeah, appearances <laughs> here on Symphony Lab. Zach, that was pretty good. I do well, have a... My other anecdote my, I wanted to tell about Bierling, he is a sad, it is sad how uh, he was pretty debilitated by alcoholism for his life. Um, but uh, evidently, uh, Robert Merrill was drafted by whoever was running the Met at that time. I forget who the intendant was uh, to go find him before a performance one time, uh, which was a matinee, I think. Um, but Robert Merrill knew to look for him at the, the bar that he liked to go to and found him and took him from the bar to the wow. stage to, to do his matinee performance of whatever it was. I don't remember, but, um, like that, 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 Puccini's you know, message that guy. Guy. <laughs> So you're going to tell us the name of your favorite bar, Zach? <laughs> <laughs> your favorite Toledo bar. Dirty Bird. I have the Dirty Ooh, Bird. The dirty there you bird. go. Good choice. Shout out to the Dirty Bird. Okay. Here is your extra credit question. If you can get this, more power to you. There's a hint in the language that this tenor is singing, but uh, you should be able to get it. Now, I consider him kind of the Marilyn Monroe of opera because he died very young. He was just 35 when he died mm. and was at the beginning of what was going to be an incredible career. Um, the story is that he was at a party, and speaking of alcohol, they got they got a little souse, and somebody, as a joke, tied his shoelaces together, and he fell down the stairs. That's the story that I got from my sources in the opera mafia. <laughs> Um, yeah, any no, guesses? Yeah, I fell down the stairs. That's, that's, that's Wunderlich, right? Yeah, Fritz Wunderlich. So you are definitely Yay! right up there. Congratulations yeah, if, if, to you. Give that hint. I think I probably would have gotten it just because, but I, I wouldn't have guessed. I, I'm sure he never sang that role. He was a very light voice kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but he did record a lot of arias. He did record a lot of right. stuff that he didn't have the chance to do on stage. He may have, you right. know, planned it somewhere down the road. But we never got the uh, opportunity to hear that. So, Mickey and Merwin, you, you've been through this esoteric tenor quiz. What are your thoughts? I am just so impressed and grateful at how wonderful you are at that quiz, Zach. <laughs> so good. <laughs> that was impressive. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, he, you know, we got a little nerdy <laughs> tenor-wise. Nerd-dum. No, lots of hints. Lots of hints. <laughs> hints always help. Okay. Yeah. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about what makes a singer great because we've just heard 10, 11 fantastic singers and they're all completely different. I mean, what what qualities do you look for, Zach and, and Merwin and Mickey, when you hear, uh, let's say, a tenor, when you hear that wonderful, magnificent voice uh, coming at you? What, what, what are you looking for? Well, I'll, I guess I'll start. I've been monopolizing too much. Well, Brad was pointing at me, so I feel yes. like I have to, I have to start. Um, for tenors, I look for vulnerability. Um, I feel like there's something about that range which is able to pierce the heart, and I kind of like I. It's something that I I want a tenor to kind of live right on the knife's edge of. 
be moving and being so moved that they themselves can't quite be in control. Yeah, I, I'm a big De Stefano fan. <laughs> I, I was just the whole time that you were saying yeah. that I was thinking Giuseppe De Stefano. Yeah, it sounds like he's describing him. That's that's my favorite tenor. Yeah, and just that's that's what I listen for. Well, what do you? What's your go-to, Mickey? Well, I I think just from a, a teaching standpoint, to the the folks that have that are are so comfortable in their facility and they know exactly what colors are natural to them. Um, so often, um, the singers that I gravitate towards know their instrument and they know their exact favorite parts of like a really well-informed singer is usually my favorite to watch. Yeah, Zach. Franco Corelli or Luciano Pavarotti? If you only uh, could choose one. <laughs> well, it'd have to be Pavarotti. I think he has a little bit more. No, variety. Franco Corelli. Here's <laughs> <laughs> the winner. Franco Corelli. I'm, I'm glad that you agree. Yeah. No, I, I see where you're coming from. It depends on, depends on the, the material you're talking about, of course. But I mean, you know, I, I to me, what I listen for in the tenor that I get a lot from Pavarotti specifically is so much intention in just the sound of the voice. Like, mm-hmm. he, he, he expressed, like, uh, I don't know, my first voice teacher dissed Pavarotti for being a bad actor. But if you just sit there and listen to him singing, like, to me, <laughs> he tells the whole story just with the sound of his voice um, and how he pronounces the words, but just like even just the tone of his voice. And that is something that is um, only possible if you're like sort of a savant or if you've spent a lot of time working on your technique, that you can you can sublimate the, the artifice that's required to, to generate the sound that can be heard of an orchestra and then like not focus on any of that and just focus on the meaning of the music and the 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 artistic intention of, of what's happening underneath the uh, the music and it's that to me it's a, it's a pinnacle uh, for me in a live performance a live recording that that exists of Pavarotti singing Lucia with Beverly Sills I think in mm. Mexico City and I listened to that the first time I did Lucia in Toledo yay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yay! <laughs> That was my that was my go to uh, listening for learning when learning it. Not that I listened to it to learn the notes, but just uh, it was my favorite interpretation of it because Pavarotti just comes out there and everything that he sings makes sense and is holistically like informing informing the audience of what's happening and it, it just feels genuine in a way that is unlike everybody else to me. Now, I will say that I just have spent a lot of time with him. And for me, finding that in other tenors is entirely possible, even ones that I initially dismiss, like Burling, I never understood Burling at all. Like, I was like, why do people like this? This sounds ridiculous. I think it's dumb. <laughs> and then I heard his live recording of Romeo and Juliet, which I'll be returning to Toledo to sing next season with my wife, wow. which I'm very excited about. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I'm going to employ you as my new soundboard from now on, Zach. <laughs> Sorry for the prompting. Um, and, you know, I listened to that live recording of him from the Met, and I was like, now I understand completely, and now I love Bjerling. Up, He's up there in my top three, you know, centers, because I, <laughs> I, it makes sense to me all of a sudden how, how that, that directness and that genuineness comes through his, the way he makes that sound. And... 
uh, yeah, it's just thrilling and exciting to, to listen to him sing Romeo, especially. Well, me. one of the things that we haven't talked about too much is the fact that these voices also have identifying characteristics. I mean, you can listen to Pavarotti and know that it's Pavarotti, or you listen to, you know, somebody like Caruso and you know that it's Caruso. And, and that reminds me of uh, Dorothy Caruso's statement that UC Burling sounded the most like her husband back in the day. Um, mm. when she heard him sing and perform live. But, you know, this whole mm. idea of instantly recognizable voices, I certainly can think that way when I hear somebody from the past, but is that still going on these days? Is that an important part of what you're trying to do or what your colleagues are trying to do on the stage? What are your thoughts on that, Zach? Well, you listen to Kaufman. I mean, it's certainly there's still a cachet about it. Um, uh, to the extent that I mean, I, I really respect Kaufman. I think he's a fantastic musician. I think he's really figured out how to how to make that sound <laughs> consistently and and well. And I uh, I saw him sing Tosca at the Met, and was very excited by uh, his Vittoria and how he how he is on stage. Um, but I think that it, it it feels a little cultivated to me. It, it feels a little artificial in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that he he darkens his voice. It doesn't feel like it's his actual voice basically on the staff or below the passaggio. When he gets above the passaggio, like that's probably how he should definitely sing. Like I think if he had maintained the weird darkness thing with his high notes above the staff, then um, it wouldn't be sustainable. Yeah, but he totally. sings like with perfect ringing technique up there. And then in the staff, he does this very, very strange sort of over darkening thing that I think is, um, is an effect, but it does succeed in making him have a distinctive voice um, because it's very recognizable when you when you do that. And there's something to be said for that, obviously. Um, and I can't I can't hold it against him. Uh, I think it's it's a it's a little strange um, to listen to as as a professional singer who works on it myself. But like uh, I can't yeah I, that, that's <laughs> I, I I definitely sympathize with the notion of wanting to sound unique and that the value of sounding unique um, because there is a lot of generalized singing these days. I don't know if it's more than usual in the sense of the history of opera, if, if it's, it's typical, because we only remember the singers that were unique and great. Like there's a, There were plenty of singers who have been forgotten in the old days, just as like there's lots of singers working today who you know maybe we won't remember because they're, they sound like everybody else. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't, I, I can't compare with the old times versus today, but I can say that I do see value in sounding unique, and I, I hope that I can do it uh, in a way that is also genuine and um, not any artificial sounding at all. But that's a high aspiration. Yay! Yeah, yeah. Well, if uh, Jonas Kaufman is listening, we'll give him your number, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I really like listening to him sing, so I, I, I cannot be a critic. Zach Borachowski, our guest today, wonderful tenor, is uh, singing this concert back in Toledo, Zach. This is happening Sunday, March 26th. It's 4 o'clock p.m. at Rosary Cathedral, Puccini's Messa di Gloria, which we didn't get a chance to talk about too much. And also before that, you're singing some wonderful Arias from the Puccini Cinematic Universe. We're also going to hear the Symphonic Pro Ud, one of his student works. Speaking of student works, I mean, he was still a teenager when he wrote the Messa di Gloria. 
Yeah, and I thought I thought that that was his like graduation project or something from conservatory. Something I, I like that. I didn't I didn't read that recently. I was uh, like I was remembering that from undergrad, so <laughs> I could be wrong. Well, if you listen to another piece that he wrote for orchestra called the Capriccio Sinfonico or the Symphonic Caprice, it actually has a quotation of La Boheme. I mean, before he wrote the opera, the whole beginning of it that da 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 that all comes from the symphonic caprice and he later ported it into la boheme many years later so it's an interesting interesting little musical tidbit there again the concert is sunday march 26th four o'clock p.m at rosary cathedral zach borachevsky singers from bowling green state university music of puccini all conducted by giordano bellincampi you can find more information at their website toledosymphony.com or call up the box office at 419-246-8000. Zach, thank you for making time for us today, and we look forward to having you back here in Toledo. I look forward to being back. Thank you for having me. This program is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony, with generous support from the Rita Barber Kern Foundation. You can download episodes as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org lab. You can also subscribe to us through your podcast app of choice, including Apple, Google, and Spotify podcasts. Don't forget to check out all the upcoming events at the Symphony by visiting their website at toledosymphony.com and their various social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find the TSO streaming platform online at stream.artstoledo.com. My thanks to Merwin Sue, Mickey Emsch, and of course to our special phone guest, tenor Zach Boychevsky. I'm Brad Cresswell. You've been listening to Toledo Symphony Lab from FM 91.